0: Welcome once again to What's Out There, the paranormal podcast from the Out There Paranormal Group. And speaking for you tonight, we have myself, Nigel, and
1: and myself, Juliet. Hello.
0: Here we are again, back podcasting.
1: It's been a while, hasn't
0: it? It certainly has. Yeah, but we're Where back.
1: Where have you been? Oh, well, I
0: can't help it, can I? What did you do? I fractured my ankle. God's sake! No,
1: honestly.
0: <laughs> Old people
1: running across <laughs> the car park, and then it goes ping.
0: What was I doing, Jules? You were helping me. I was on a rescue. And I felt awful. My knight in shining armour...
1: I, d- I thought your wife was going to kill me. <laughs> I,
0: don't she like, oh, I don't think she was
1: She was going to speak to me again. Honestly. Oh,
0: let's be honest. It was this stupid old fool's fault. No one else's fault. I was the one running across the car park. So. No, but, but... Thankfully, I'm now back on mobile. I can drive again so we can get together to record. I know,
1: I'm so and pleased.
0: It's what we've done.
1: Back to the office again, and it, here we it, are. it is. Here
0: we are with and, yet another podcast. And,
1: and, and, and... Go for it. We've got a very, very... I'm very excited about this one, as you can probably tell. Um... Yeah, we've got a very exciting guest, haven't we, this evening? We
0: have. We've been promising for a little while that we're going to get this person onto the show because we wanted to capture ourselves a tame cryptozoologist. And we've managed to do that.
1: We did. We've got him. We We captured him. He's a prisoner. Who have we got? We have. Drumroll, please. (laughs) We have Mr. Richard Freeman.
0: We have indeed. He is the zoological director for the Centre for Fortean Zoology, and he's a renowned author. He's been on television, he's written articles, and he seriously knows his stuff.
1: And he's been on expeditions all over the world looking for some very, very unusual animals.
0: Has indeed, yeah. I'm quite impressed mm. when we got chance to him, the amount of sort of things and places he's been to. You're like, wow, really? Oh, yeah. So without further ado, here we go. So, Richard Freeman, would you care to introduce yourself and tell us all about yourself?
2: Well, I'm a cryptozoologist, which means I search for and try and gain evidence of mysterious animals or cryptids. and These fall into a number of categories. They could be um, creatures that are completely unknown to science. We don't know what they are, like the Yeti, uh, sea serpents, things like that. Uh, another category is animals that are thought to be extinct, but in reality are probably around, like the Tasmanian wolf. And the other category uh, are known animals that have grown to enormous sizes, larger than the textbooks say they should, like giant crocodiles, giant anacondas, giant pythons. Things like that, and I travel the world on a track of these creatures. I write about them. I write books about them. Magazine articles. I do a little bit of television, whenever I can. Um, I used to be a zookeeper many years ago. Uh, if you're old enough to remember the PG tipped chimps, advert.
1: Indeed, oh, yes.
2: I worked at that zoo, Twycross Zoo in the West Midlands, where I was. Oh wow! I was head of reptiles there. Well, I looked of crocodiles, alligators, snakes, little tortoises, turtles and vines.
1: I bet that was absolutely fascinating as well, because they're just such interesting animals.
2: Yes, and um, also in my past I've been a grave digger for a while.
1: <laughs> I was going to ask you about that one. How did you, <laughs> excuse the pun,
2: how did you fall into that one? I just answered an ad in when I was between jobs. It was originally for Britain in Bloom, where they put all the flowers in the, the little the hanging baskets, and I did that for a while, and they kept me on as a as a grave digger.
1: Oh wow! Right. That's certainly an interesting That's job. Really
2: strange, isn't it? <laughs> one day, years later, one day I was uh, on Bodmin Moor in Cornwall, and there's a plate all the yeah. Jamaica in there. And I was looking for the beast of Bodmin Moor with some friends. And uh, on a break from doing this, we went to visit Potter's Museum of Curiosity, which sadly no longer exists. It was a, a collection of strange items uh, created by this uh, Victorian taxidermist. And he would um, stuff animals like squirrels and kittens and guinea pigs and have them getting married or playing cricket oh, wow. like and but he'd also collect odd items, like... I remember in one case, there was the head of a man-eating crocodile from India next to a Maori axe, next to a model of a church made right out of bird feathers. And it's a bit sort of oh, really, wow like, wonderful, fascinating place. And in the little gift shop on the way out, I came across a magazine called Animals and Net. Um, and it had the, the famous Sur- Sturgeon's photo of a monster on the front, which, of course, was a hawks, but I picked up this magazine, Animals and Men, which wasn't quite as rude as it sounded. And <laughs> I read it and enjoyed it. And it was published by this organization called the Centre for 14 Mythology. So I started writing letters into the magazine and then I started writing articles. And then um, I visited the director, John Bounds. And I met him at the um, uh, convention, the 14 Times Unconvention, when that was still a thing. Oh yeah, and then it, yeah. why don't you come down, move down to Exeter, and uh, become the zoological director? And so uh, that th- I did, and the rest is history. Since then, I've been all over the world looking for all sorts of creatures, like the Tasmanian wolf, the Mongolian death worm, the Yeti, the orang pendek, the giant anaconda.
1: So, I mean, that's the orang- The orang pendek really fascinated me. I found that one really, really interesting. What did you actually discover when you went looking for that?
2: Well, I've been six times now looking for this creature. Yeah, oh, wow. its name I know you've been quite a few times. Its name means short man in Malay, and it's found on the Indonesian island of Sumatra. Uh, yeah. There have been sightings ever since the time of the Dutch colonists, right up to this day. It stands three to five feet tall. It's an upright, walking, ground-dwelling ape that lives in the jungle of long head mm. powerfully built it's generally um, black or grey in colour but there, there are stories of uh, reddish coloured ones and in honey coloured ones so there's quite a difference in colour um, every time we've been we've found footprints and sort I've of found handprints as well we've cast these and I've worked with oh, all the wow. great takes I know what their handprints and footprints look like because I've seen them in all sorts mediums. medians this thing is different um, mm-hmm. some of my colleagues, one of our guides, the late Sahar Dimas, and my friend Dave Archer actually saw the creature in a tree. And it came down out of the tree and walked away like a man on its hind legs on the forest floor. We found hair uh, next to one of the footprints, which was sent to a guy called Lars Thomas in Denmark, who is a biologist, who is one of the world-leading experts in mammal hair. And they couldn't get the mm-hmm. DNA out of it, but looking at the structure of it, he said, this is a new animal. It's a new, new species, species of primate. It's related wow. to the, orang- the Sumatran orangutan, but it's not to the Sumatran orangutan. And the last time I was there, last year, I heard its call. It's a very distinctive call that sounds almost like a weird laugh. And it was no more than 25 feet away from me, behind a stand of bamboo. And another oh, wow. the expedition went around the side of the stand of bamboo to try and scare it towards me where I was ready with my camera. But it took off at a mangle. Instead of putting the wrap oh, on, so I missed seeing it. But we got the hair from it, which is identified as something new, and it's uh, it seems to be a ground-dwelling species of orangutan. Uh, as recently as 2017, a new species of orangutan, a Tapanuli orangutan, was identified uh, in Sumatra. So the idea of uh, there being a new species of orangutan is not at all surprising. And this one seemed to be adapted for life on the forest floor rather than being arboreal.
1: This is really interesting because that's now making me think about Sasquatch, about Yeti, and obviously they're larger. Um, they're supposed to be a lot larger. Could there be a connection?
2: Well, we we think they're not particularly closely related to, uh, well, not certainly not the larger type of Yeti. I found the trail of the Yeti as well yeah. in uh, northern India uh, in the state of Meghalaya where the local name for it is Mande Barung, the forest man. And the sightings of the creature there Mm. are something around 10 feet tall, around 3 metres tall, and the people described it as having black fur, uh, walking upright, but looking like a gorilla, looking like a massive upright walking gorilla. And we found the Mm. footprints of it, and these weren't in snow, so it was not the case of something treading in snow, and then the print melting and refreezing, and being distorted, these were in mud. So, we think mm. the yeti is either a great ape or it's a relic hominin, uh, a relative of one of the ancestors as man. One theory is that it could mm. be a surviving form of Gigantopithecus, a giant ape that lived in the Pleistocene period about, uh, or it died out about 100,000 years ago, supposedly, but it's only known from its teeth and jaws. So, we know very little about it. It's mainly the size that right. people make people connect it with the yeti. But the wear on its teeth suggests it ate mainly bamboo and fibrous material, whereas the yeti seems more omnivorous. It eats fruit, vegetables, but it will also do things like killing yaks by throwing rocks at them and smashing their mm. heads and e- eating the meat. Oh. So it's it's ecological twin is the brown bear, so it, it will eat anything a bear can. So it's, it's an omnivorous animal. So whether it's a hominin or a great ape, is is um, up for debate at the minute, but the, the Russian wild man, the Almasty, which I've, I've also been on the trail of, that seems much more manlike. so we think that this is is definitely a relic hominin. And it was taken so seriously uh, in the time of the Soviet Union that they had a commission to look for it, a government-backed commission to search for this creature. And uh, I've been to the Caucasus Mountains of Russia and talked to people that have seen this thing, and those include a, a doctor of geology who was the deputy head of a national park. He'd seen one of these things. And they're generally described as being about seven feet tall, for not as massive as the Yeti on the Sasquatch, but bigger than a man, with a, a thick brow ridge, flattened nose, long dark hair, sloping forehead. And they, their tool use is very primitive, like the Yeti, they were little rocks. I use clubs occasionally, but they don't seem to make fire or anything like that. Mm. Uh, so we think that they were very, very, maybe a very early branching off from Homo erectus. Is, is okay. Wow. But the thing about this family tree of ancestors yeah. is not uh, a direct lineal, a direct lineal um, progression from one thing to another. We're finding new species of hominin every year uh, yeah. including the the denovicians um from the himalayas which are known from jawbones and teeth and we've got all mm-hmm. the entire genome from their jawbones and teeth um homo furuciensis the little hobbit people from
0: yeah because that's sort of close out to sumatra is one of the islands in in that area yeah. isn't it so, so is it sort of linked to yeah, your orang pendak as well so
2: the orang pendek is much more likely to be an ape than than a salon for yeah as well as the MC, but interestingly alongside orang pendek there are there are stories of another creature called the orang kardil which is more manlike. Oh. he looks like a small human with long hair on the head uh but it, they hunt with bamboo spears and they seem to be more living little tribes and be like tool users mm and interesting. Well, that might might that. be related really to Homo floresiensis that's living alongside um, around Pendek and more recently um, Homo luzonensis was discovered in the Philippines which seems to be very closely related as well and what we've discovered is that Homo floresiensis and Homo luzonensis are a sister group to um, Homo habilis which was a hominin that lived in Africa nearly 2 million years ago and it wasn't supposed to have had a lineage outside of africa originally when they found the bones of Homo floresiensis they thought it was a dwarf island form of homo erectus which was our own ancestor but it was something much Mm. more primitive the whole structure of the wrist and skull is something much more primitive and more closely related to this creature from east africa which we didn't even know how to lineage outside of Africa, but it got halfway around the world. It got half a world away and nearly 2 million years out of time, which begs the question, what else is out there?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's really I mean, you sort of look at it like I, yeah. that. It's really fascinating as you find these links that sort of go together and you just think just, well, okay, like you said, where does it go? Where does it come from? How can it be there and be there as well at the same time? Yeah,
1: I did see some. I know there's a lot of spoof footage going around, Richard, and I appreciate that. But I did see something, sort of fairly recently in the last few months, of what looked like um, a stand-up ape-type creature walking in a forest with what appeared to be a baby on its on her back. Have you have you seen that footage? No,
2: this is not, I don't believe I have.
1: No, it's 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 sort of been floating around the internet for a few months, and I mean, you know, with CGI the way it is now, it's sometimes it's very difficult to know what's real and what isn't. But it to me it looked quite real, and the people, well, the people that filmed it claim it's completely legit, and I can't remember where it was, but they yeah, it was sing, so. it was um it was an upright ape, yeah. black in colour. Um, walking amongst the trees with a, uh, a baby on the back. Um, I, if I if I find it, I will send it to you. I'll, I'll have a look for it because I know I know what I'm looking for. And just see what so it would be nice to hear your view on it, whether it, you think it's rubbish or whether you know it's genuine footage. But it did surprise me. I was quite surprised by that one. Absolutely fascinated. Now there was something I did want to ask you, and that is closer to home and that's all about big cats because we've had as you well know we've had um a lot of sightings and there was one fairly recently um a sighting of a big cat and they appear to be all over britain now so is it right is absolutely right that dna evidence has now been officially given that big cats are out there in british countryside
2: years and years ago um some hair was found uh, in the woods fairly near the Centre for 14 Zoology HQ in Watery in North Devon and this mm. was examined again by Lars Thomas and found to be from a leopard. So that Gosh. hair was brought by a leopard just a few miles from where I'm talking now. I've examined a kill also a few miles from where I'm talking now on a farm uh, yeah. where a, a ram had had its neck dislocated and the skin peeled back off it like you're peeling the skin off a kipper or a banana, and the the flesh stripped clean, very neatly, very unlike a dog kill. And I've actually seen one of these things from a coach. I looking at the, looking for it at the time. I was travelling in broad daylight from Exeter to Bristol in a coat, glanced over a field and saw a puma.
1: You actually oh, saw that yourself. Wow. <laughs> so they are, they're definitely out
2: there then They're definitely out there The $100,000 question is how many are out there how Are they breeding? Yeah. Have we got a breeding population? Yeah
1: Well I mean there's certainly the food source out there Because we've got so many wild deer and, and things like that for them to feed on So I wouldn't have thought they'd go hungry Like
0: we just said, taking on sheep as well Yeah, so, yeah. I mean
1: as you probably know We've got very large forests up here near us in Norfolk called Thetford Forest and there's been quite a few sightings of big cats um, around there and we have got a very, very large deer population there. There's lots of deer so I'm thinking there probably is at least one very big cat and very full cat wandering around in Thetford Forest. There has been sightings I know from people that have seen a lynx type cat. And I think, a, is it a serval? serval?
2: Yeah.
1: Which they they aren't they Af, from Africa, servals originally? They are
2: from Africa, yes, but a lot of the so called servals in Britain are actually sightings of something called the Savannah Cat, which is a serval right. domestic cat hybrid that you would as very expensive pet. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So
0: they're sort of loosening in the wild. You're sort of going back to sighting things that have existed sort of millions and millions of years ago let's get on to another a favorite subject of people that live in the UK and that's the Loch Ness Monster (gasps)
1: that is one of my favorites
0: so the possibility of it being something from the dinosaur period is that possible at all or is it just like another hoax it's
2: more likely to be Elvis Presley in a rubber dinosaur suit yeah
1: There's, there hasn't been any sort of proof yet, has there? Because there's been other sightings as well in, is it Loch Morat And there was another...
2: Yeah, you can't see what mess, uh, you can't see it alone. There are lots of other Scottish locks that have these stories to them. Uh, Irish locks and a lot of locks in the Northern Hemisphere that have lakes rather than the Hemisphere. Across Russia and parts of Asia and across Canada and North America, these deep cold water lakes have these sightings yes. in them. And the only thing that makes sense for what it is, is some sort of fish, because it's it's deriving its oxygen directly from the water. Because if it was an air breather, it'd be seen breaching at the surface and breathing, so it'd be seen much more often. And the thing that fits the bill Mm. most is a gigantic eel.
1: Not a sturgeon, then? You're going with the eel?
2: Possibly. Some sightings are a sturgeon, quite possibly, because when sturgeon get very big very old, mm. the scoots on their back that give them a, a jagged lock across their door. Yeah. They, they sort of move further and further apart, giving it a smoother, like, hump. And the biggest sturgeon ever caught was on the Volga in 1847, and it was 23 feet 7 inches.
1: They're big, oh, yeah.
2: That's proper they big, get, isn't it?
1: They get really, really big. It just fascinates me
2: what it could be eels can move around on land and there's been plenty of sightings of a the less monster and other like monsters on land
1: yes so that's really
2: true. about eels now we know that eels well, they live in fresh water and they don't develop sexual organs until later on in life and we don't understand what triggers them to grow sexual organs uh sigmund freud before he was a psychologist was a natural historian mm. and he dissected thousands of eels looking for sexual organs to confine them because they are they're, um, completely sexless until they get to a certain age and uh, they're triggered to then move out of freshwater and into the sea where they breed and then they'll die and the babies return to the ancestral water. There's a theory that eels never sexually develop, and in large bodies of water, they get older and older and older. And we know there are eels in New Zealand that are over 100 years old, and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the size limit is unknown. There was a story from 2004 of a Canadian family seeing an eel in Loch Ness that was 25 feet long, which makes much more uh, sense than the biting plesiosaur.
1: Good grief! It's I isn't didn't. It? You I didn't realize, realize that
0: these these things. And I watch. There's a series on the television that I watch called River Monsters. Yes. Where the guy sort of ooh, goes ooh. fishing all over the world, catching these Canary bloody way, weird looking there's fish.
2: It's a great name for
0: Amber. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the stuff he catches, you look at that and think, "Oh my god!" Yeah. You know. So there are, like you said, there is stuff around it's just the case of finding it and occasionally you sort of get something that will appear like the 25 foot eel or a great big sturgeon well, and right. away you go
2: they're
1: out there I mean yeah. I mean you know we all know about the case of the celiacanth, don't we which everybody believed was extinct and what was it in the 1930s that yeah. suddenly reappeared they were
2: off South Africa in the 1930s they live off South Africa and Madagascar uh, and more recently yeah. uh, a second species is found in Indonesia in the water off Indonesia oh really yeah wow oh I did not know that
0: interesting stuff
1: now there's another one there's so many things I want to ask richard there are loads I know nigel wants to get onto the subject of tasmanian tiger don't you yeah. but before we do may I just ask you because I am fascinated fascinated by the ocean and and the sea and things like that there's been some discussion about megalodon being around what's your thoughts on Megalodon, the giant shark being out there somewhere out in the Marinara trench or something like that. Do you think that is possible
2: or not? Absolutely zero. Zero chance. Zero chance. One of the most unlikely things ever. Um a Todus Megalodon, to give it his correct name, um it's it wasn't a deep water fig. It didn't live right in the depth of the sea, it lived in fairly near the surface and would have kept reasonably near the coast. Because it preyed on primitive whale. It evolved from primitive whales. So it would have been a coastal creature. We'd see it more often. And we'd see whales washing up with big chunks out of them. And there'd be attacks on boats and interference with fishing. And there isn't. Um, The supposed sightings of of, uh, Mediodon, like the one by the Western author Zane Gray, when you listen to his description, it's an exact description of a whale shark. So it's a, yeah. it's very much a no-go. And um, a few years back, um, Animal Planet did a, 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 docu- a, a pseudo-documentary uh, where they got various people to pretend to be scientists saying that maybe the could still survive. And they got real shark experts mm-hmm. on and not told them what they were doing and talked about maybe the dog with them, which was very disingenuous. And they spent £3 million making this fake documentary. That £3 million could have gone into looking for real cryptid. I could have de- in you a whole, yeah. a whole series on £3 million. I could, have, I could have probably done three series on £3 million, at least.
1: It's such a shame, it, isn't it? Absolute
2: waste. So Megalodon, no, but there are large unknown creatures in the sea. We absolutely know that, yeah. Uh, we, yeah. The giant squid, we don't know quite how big it gets. The biggest one ever measured was about 60 feet long. But there are there are stories that <gasps> ones upwards of a hundred feet.
1: My God. Really?
0: So you look at it, when you see the old world maps where it says there be monsters, they're the sort of things that they're talking about, something like that coming up and Yeah.
1: Well, we know more about the moon than we do our own sea, don't we? We do,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: It's crazy. Right, so, Nige, you want yeah, to ask? Yeah,
0: just, just an interesting <laughs> aside. It's one of those sort of stupid questions that often crosses my mind. They recently sequenced um, the RNA for the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger. How do you feel about people that say they can take bits and pieces from extinct animals and maybe resurrect them, stuff like the woolly mammoth and maybe the thylacine as well? Was that something that you'd like to see? Yes, or... yes, it
2: is. Or not. Now, you when know, we first heard about them, Tried to do this with the mammoth about 20 years ago. And as far as I know, there's yeah. no progress with it, but good luck to them. As for the thylacine, the well, I make a, a point of never, ever calling it the Tasmanian tiger. It's the thylacine or the Tasmanian wolf because it's a fleshy, right. marsupial. It's not related to wolves or tiger. Uh, it's a fleshy, big marsupial, but it, it's an example of what we call convergent evolution. And the Tasmanian wolf evolved to look like a bull because it, it had a dog-like lifestyle. Its lifestyle is more like a coyote and a cuncelt. Um, uh, these things lived all across the mainland, across New Guinea and across Tasmania and they were supposed to have died out on the mainland in New Guinea for reasons we're not entirely sure about uh, but around 4 or 5,000 years ago, leaving the populations in Tasmania. Now, when white europeans first went to tasmania they wiped out the tasmanian emu which was a cold adapted emu that lived only on tasmania they wiped out the the tasmanian aborigines which they they went beating for them like the like you do for brows and stuff and just shot them until they were extinct and there was a bounty out on the tasmanian wolf because they said it was preyed on the sheep that the white settlers brought over up um, and as well as being hunted um Mange went through Tasmania as well in 1985, causing a population crash and uh, the last known one died in Hobart Zoo in the 1930 but since then there have been over 4,000 sightings um, not just on Tasmania but in New Guinea where they call it dog and the Highland tribes talk about this animal or like a type of dog that has stripes on it which will come down from the mountains and kill their livestock now Not only has it been seen in Tasmania by a zoologist, been seen by a zoologist and a park ranger, it's also had its continued uh, existence um, predicted by computer program. There's a guy called Professor Henry Nix who wrote uh, a computer program called FIOP, wherein you would... Uh, entering into computer, everything you know about a certain animal, and everything you know about a geographical range, and it would match them up and, and tell you where within this range you are most likely to find this animal, and it was, it was a tool, and as an experiment, he did this with the sightings of the Tasmanian Wolf, and he found that there was a, something like a 98% match-up between where the computer program said they should be in Tasmania if they're still alive, and where people were reporting them for. And he's cool that the, the file sign is still around. I've been over there three times now, talked to all sorts of people that have seen it, including uh, a guy, a government licensed shooter, who goes out and kills feral cats. He shoots cats because cats are a bloody menace. Wherever, like, wherever you get cats, you have them wiping out the small mammals in the third. And they get loose, they get feral, they breed in fantastic numbers. And they cause environmental, complete environmental destruction. Uh, there are a whole list of small mammals and birds that have been punched into extinction by cats. So he goes out and blows the cats away. And has seen it twice in the um, back of, uh, of Tasmania. Um, we met another guy who'd seen it with his wife from a car. And another car full of people stopped and saw this thing and it wasn't far away it was running down the side of the road by a barbed wire fence looking for a place to get under the fence and they both had it in view for a very long time another guy we talked to sadly died of old age now he's an old retired guy but um he worked in a hydroelectric plant and they were driving to work one building five of them in a car and the thing just came into the road in front of them like they all got a good view of it well I interviewed this guy and he's for absolutely no reason to lie, and it's not like a fleeting glimpse of something and this wasn't a fox with mange; it wasn't a feral dog it was a tough manian bull so of all the creatures of one on and the orang pendek are the two that I think I'm, I've got for most chance to Wow yeah. It's I mean,
0: fascinating it, that you get to see them I
1: mean, Yeah, just, absolutely you, and it sounds to me like there could be evidence of them breeding as well if there's been so many sightings
2: Oh yeah, you will if You wouldn't get uh You wouldn't get them surviving without breeding. They've got a lifespan of roughly fifteen years, so it's yeah. obvious they're breeding. But I, I want to go back to Tasmania again. I want to go to New Guinea.
1: That was going to be my next question to you. Where would you like to go next?
2: Oh, two places spring to mind immediately: uh, New Guinea, because it's one of the most untamed places in the world, even today. Uh, and not only do you have sightings of a Tasmanian wolf there, you have sightings of gigantic crocodiles on some of the rivers.
1: When you say gigantic, how big are we talking?
2: They're 30 feet plus.
1: <gasps> Bloody hell. Gosh. That's
2: Weighing scary. I suppose there'd be three and a half to four tonnes at that size. Good Christ. There's Isn't one that lives me? along uh, one of the rivers, um... I think it might be the fly river uh, I can't remember now but there's one of them that the the local tribes believe it's a sacred creature and they think it's they say it's lived in this lagoon for over 50 years and it protects them they believe it's a protective spirit and what it is oh, is wow. it's quite he's chasing all the other males out of the out of the area that's just that's just one and uh, there are giant crocodile sightings in many areas of Australia tropical Asia and uh sub-saharan africa as well and we're dealing with an animal even an average size crocodile they take down big cats they take down sharks they take down wolf or buffalo giraffes there are even rare cases of them taking down rhino and hippo really wow so imagine what a thirty-foot one could do. Something the size exactly, of a. Exactly, yeah.
1: It's too God. scary to even imagine. To be perfectly honest. I mean, isn't taking
0: it? down hippos. Hip, people think hippopotamus. Oh, look at that stupid lumbering thing! But they're so dangerous. They're
2: incredibly dangerous. Incredibly yeah. Dangerous. There's a, a massive crocodile called Gustav in Lake Tanganyika, who's anywhere between twenty and twenty-five feet long. He's killed three hundred people, and one of the park rangers said that he saw it take on a hippo and rip the hippo's. Out. Oh <gasps> my god.
1: Jeez. I i would, do you know, that would be a dream for me to go and explore places like that. I,
0: do you know, I, I i think you're incredibly brave, man. I'd be terrified if I came face oh, to face with something so like exciting. that. so exciting.
1: No, but Not think we'll of it. Take a on a, a healthy
2: species. hippo. Um, there's been <laughs> no. of the rhinos. Rhinos have killed hippos occasionally, but apart from that, very little else will take on a hippo.
1: No. Yeah. No, I mean, is there, I've I've read, read all sorts of different articles um, in the jungles and things like that of, of giant insects as well um, that people have seen and and huge spiders as well, bigger than a dinner plate. I mean, do these creatures, do they well, exist? The biggest,
2: well, you know, the biggest spider we know of, the Beliath Bird Eater from South America, that does exist. It's, it is the size of a dinner plate. It's about 12 inches of craft.
1: I was hoping you'd say no, Richard. <laughs> You're not a fan of spiders, are you? <laughs> I'm not, but it fascinates me. Absolutely fascinates me. And their web is supposed to be unusual. Is that right?
2: No, tarantulas don't really make much of a web. They, they will have um, strands of web near for hole they live in, but they don't build big webs from tree to tree. The, right. the type of spider called the orb weaver that makes these big, great big webs. Yeah,
1: yeah, because it was, it was something like that that I read.
2: The tarantula is, is pretty much harmless. Its venom is no more potent than a bee sting. The only thing you have to watch out for is the hairs from the um, abdomen that they flick up that can get in your eyes and irritate you. Really?
1: I didn't know about that. Mm, yeah, but there's a yeah.
2: limit. There's a limit to how big an arthropod can be, something like a, an insect or an arachnid. Because mm. of the exoskeleton, it gets so heavy they can only get to a certain size. And also, because they breed through spiracles. Yeah. They can only once again they can only get to a certain size. Mm. So you can't get spiders the size of gorillas or
1: That's know. that's reassuring to know. Thank you for clarifying that. I feel a lot safer now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, You'd be terrified
0: of spiders <laughs> that big, yeah.
2: Well the largest arthropod you get on land is the robber crab, which is about three feet across.
1: I, I don't mind crabs. Crabs are okay. They're, they're, they're okay. <laughs> they're thing, it? So it's
0: a curious mixture, isn't it, with the cryptozoology is really more sort of looking at things that are possible. Mm. I mean, people always go on about it being, oh, you know, looking for stuff like Bigfoot, like we were saying earlier on, and the Loch Ness Monster and things like that. But actually, when you look at it, it's, it's of all the sort of paranormal things, it's, probably the most likely topic where you're going to actually experience something, where you're actually going to kind of come across something.
2: Yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, there's no paradigm shift in true cryptozoology. You don't have to postulate life on other planets, travelling impossible distances to get here, just to scare a few people on a back road somewhere. You don't <laughs> yeah. have to postulate <laughs> spirits of the dead coming back from the other side. It's just a branch of zoology, and it's just that some of the creatures, not all of them, some of the creatures that are involved in it are big, spectacular, scary things. But mm. cryptozoology is also involved in things like the hunt for uh, the pink-headed duck in Burma, which used to live in, in Burma and India, and it is supposed to have died out uh, in the last century for reasons that nobody's really sure about. It just started to disappear. But um, there are reports from the remote areas of Burma that it's still around. Great ivory-billed woodpecker. The schmooch species of is supposed to have died out, um, once again, in the middle of the last century due to its habitat being destroyed in the southern US. It might still be around, it might be on Cuba or up. The giant earwig of St Helena, which was the world's biggest earwig, which was about yay big, about four or five inches long, lived on there's a tiny island of St. Helena where they sent um the podium And that hasn't yeah. been seen for years and years and years, but there's a chance it might still be around. So it's not always oh. big scary monsters like giant anacondas and ten foot apes in the Himalayas and things like that. It can be about um, other things as well. Well like the other place that I really want to go is Japan. Uh, because as well as as finding Japan culturally fascinating and finding the wooden incredibly beautiful uh, there are lots of things in Japan there is a, a, an island off the southern, uh, main southern island of Japan, a little archipelago and there's an island called uh, Iriyamote where there is supposedly an undiscovered species of big cat when I say big cat, this one is not huge like a leopard, it's about the size of a border collie dog but they say it's striped like a tiger and uh, nobody really oh, no. knows what it is it could be a dwarf island form of the clouded leopard. So but that's something i really want to go and look for then there's the japanese wolf uh there were two species of wolf on japan there was the uh, hokkaido wolf off in the north island and then in the southern island there was the brook wolf, which was the smallest wolf in the world and both of them were supposed to have been hunted into extinction around about uh, 1917, but there are still sightings and even photographs of this creature, or alleged photographs of creatures. So that's another thing I'd love to go and look for.
1: Are you going to do it?
2: Uh, hopefully, hopefully. I want to go out, get out to um, uh, Iriamote sometime soon. But there's so much I want to do, and it's all down to the folding green stuff. I mean, if I, if I could get if I could get a backup if I could get um, or if I could get a television company interested in financing a TV series they either just mess about or they they don't really take it seriously so imagine something like David Attenborough's Life on Earth
1: oh that would be amazing something that
2: well, you wouldn't necessarily need the huge budget but something with the scientific bent that you have to do it scientifically so you go for a place to a place not just for a couple of weeks you go for a month or more the longer the better you stay there you do it properly and you make a good documentary about each creature and you might have say 10 episodes a series and you select a different animal you go there and you look for it properly now even if you don't find it you will find witnesses you will find more information about the creature, you'll go to spectacular places where no one's ever been before. I've been to places where I've been the first European ever to set foot in, man.
1: Wow. Really? really?
2: And you'll capture stuff on screen that's never been seen before. Now stop and think about the garbage we get on television these oh, days. God, yeah. Absolutely. Umpteen shows about buying and selling houses. Oh, no. Umpteen Umpteen. Reality shows with Z grade celebrities making idiots out of themselves, yeah. soul displaying garbage. Now you could do a brilliant series. You could do a great series on cryptozoology. I've been trying to impress people for years, and nobody gives a damn. That's really nobody sad. It, it's a it's
0: crying shame. A it really subject. is, like you said, because it is so. It can draw you in. It's so interesting, you know. And like like you were saying, the places you're going to places where people have never been before. You know, dealing with these sort of things and talking about the stuff that you're talking about, it is so interesting. But like you said, it's trying to attract someone to sort of back it and that. And it's so much easier to put on some crap about, like you said, selling houses or or go out to the jungle and send some celebrities out there and see how they get on. It's just crap. It is. Absolute crap. And I agree with you 100%. It's, you know, TV is so poor. We
1: need some fresh air, don't we? Do, we do,
0: definitely, yeah.
1: So, folks, if anybody out there. Wants to make this happen with Richard. Get in touch, please.
0: Yeah, we'll share his um website and everything down by there, the Centre for Teen Zoology so you can actually go across there and have a good look at it anyway. Um we'll share some links as well so you can contact Richard. But it'd be great if we could get you a backer, that be how That would be amazing. Verb.
2: It'd be amazing.
0: So what will be on what will be on your hit list then?
2: I want to go back to Mongolia. The probably the the best place I've ever been is Mongolia. It, yeah. The weirdest, most alien place I've ever been in in my life. And you can go for days and days and days and not see hide not hair of another human being <sighs> or even a trace of civilization in the Gothi Desert. Yeah. We're out there looking for this thing called the Mongolian Death Worm or Alroy Hoi they call it. Oh, I mean, I've heard about that,
1: yeah.
2: And it's about the size of uh, a salami or a draft excluder. And it's supposed to come up out of the desert sands after rain. And uh, they go in great terror of it. But we talk to people. When it's been seen, they would move all their tents and lose the whole community away from an area. And we talked to one guy, old guy who'd seen it when he was a boy back in the 1930s. And we talked to a, a a young guy, a young man who'd seen it just a year before we were there. And they were all describing the same thing. We would travel for about 1,000 miles through the desert and talk to dozens of witnesses. They all describe this same thing. They seem to be some sort, of, rather than a true worm. It seems to be a burrowing reptile of some sort, maybe a worm lizard yeah. or which a which is a strange group of burrowing reptiles, or maybe a undiscovered species of sand boa, or whatever. It, whatever it is, it's unknown to science, and they are terrified of it. Wow. They're really frightened. I mean, it.
1: does it actually attack people? Then is that why they're so afraid of it?
2: Well, uh, according to the folklore, it can generate blasts of electricity that can kill a Full grown camel and it can spit acid. Oh, god, it's wow. salivary caustic. It. That's according to the legend. When you actually talk to the nomads, they say that the, the electricity they call it throwing lightning, right? They say that that's just folklore. And one old guy we met, a retired army colonel, saw it um, in the morning, in the early morning, and he said it had like dew on the scales of its back and it was glistening and glittering. They think that's where they. The idea of the electricity colours. Ah. They believe it's... Yes, and they can spit. But we never met anybody who knew anyone that had been killed by it. They knew a vague story. Mm. Most of the people, they just saw it lying in the desert, and they freaked out and ran away. Um, there were a couple of cases where they they saw it slithering in and out of holes. Mm. And in one case, a guy saw it killing eat to mouse. So... I think it's probably the, the, the stories are probably apocryphal of these powers and I've handled a lot of reptiles so if I saw one I could try and catch it because <gasps> they're not very big but they meet, you know they meet the lung. you could probably catch one of these things and bring it back to civilization, bring it back to Ulaanbaatar and take it to the university there. it's not like trying to try to capture a, a yeti and bring yeah. it back this is something you know a,
1: a question though how on earth would what? you get something like that through customs <laughs>
2: Oh, you wouldn't. You would you would take it back to the com- the, the capital of the country you were in. Ah, uh, so are you not allowed? All
1: are you not allowed to move animal species around? You, you,
2: wouldn't, you wouldn't be allowed. You'd have to get a special permit in order to do it. Okay. I- probably the same way if you found bones and skulls and stuff. You could probably take back a few teeth and stuff for DNA analysis, but if you found, say, the skeleton of a, a yeti in China or Bhutan or somewhere, you would have to take it to the authorities there and then say, look, we found this. Yeah, you got all out. scientists from all over the world to come and have a look at it.
1: Sure, sure. So, I mean, Richard, there's something that has always fascinated me because obviously you've got the background in zoological, I'm trying to think of the word, insects. And looking after those and reptiles what made you make that move into cryptozoology and once you made that move what does a true cryptozoologist really do because obviously you travel the world and you go on these amazing expeditions looking at all these looking for these fabulous animals and things like that but what else is there behind it
2: well to answer the first part of the question. Bob Muddy got into into I can't say that in three words. Classic Doctor Who.
0: <laughs> Yay! <Brilliant. laughs> yeah, we're I fans as well.
2: The, what was it? I grew up in the 1970s yeah. with John Pertwee and Tom Baker. Yeah. And on the John Pertwee years, he was trapped on Earth. So most of the monsters were coming from Earth. So you had giant venomous maggot that glowed green and slithered out of Welsh flag heaps and human it, it, we binoculars that have awoken from millions of years of higher than And it was as much about horror as it was about science fiction. And in stories like Terror of the Autumns, where you have these little crafty aliens that control plastic. and Everything plastic can turn into a killer. So you've got dummies and children's toys coming to a light and attacking yeah. people. It was so compelling and fascinating. And I always say Doctor Who is the closest thing I have to a religion. Uh, up until Jodie Whittaker, then. End. End of stall. Yeah. Oh, oh, good. You go woke, you go broke. Yeah. Like, a beloved piece of British culture, which is uh, much ingrained into the British as Fish and Chips and the White of Dover, and you use it as a platform for... Political correctness and woke preaching—you're finished. You're done. Not watching the BBC altogether, and I won't. To this day, I will not work with the BBC. I won't watch the BBC. To, for I have nothing to do with the BBC. And I'm, on top of that, I hate the way that they have got their tongues so far up the backside of the conservatives that they—they uh, they can taste the caviar and the uh, the oyster. All these puppets are eating the knowledge. They're supposed to be non-op, not—they are the lapdogs for the conservatives. Yeah. So. Uh, the BBC, whom I used to love, who I used to genuinely love and be proud of and think they were a great British achievement like the NHS, uh, are an absolute travesty man, and I will not work with them. It's
1: a shame, isn't it? Um,
2: as, for the, as for the second part of your question, I, I have wanderlust. I just love going to these places and walking somewhere where, you know, no other human being has walked, or no other European, at least, has walked, and seeing these fantastical things that no other pe- people have seen, hate it's just it's it's wonderful it's almost like a a Victorian ethos of exploration in me, except that I don't shoot and kill things like I did I also want to try and stop them being hunted into extinction or dying habitat there are some animals that we had no idea they existed until they were gone Yeah. there was an animal called the sea mink in um, western North America along the coast It was hunted to extinction before they knew it was even an actual species. We only know it from museum specimen. It was gone before it was even recorded. So some of these things live in places that are under pressure, like the Orang Pendek in the rainforest of Sumatra. I mean, every time I go back there, there's more logging, there's more tea and coffee plantation. Uh, If you can prove the Orang Pendek existed, the eyes of the world would be on the Indonesian government and they'd have to do something to preserve the rainforest that it lived in. So you would be also saving the Sumatran rhino, the elephant, all these other creatures that live in in that area, you would be saving them.
0: That's unfortunate. That's that's the human race for you, isn't it? We just love to destroy, don't we, sadly. And they call it progress, but it isn't always progress, and that's really quite
1: sad. It isn't. It's sad, really sad.
2: Well, on my, on my expeditions, so I've been stalked by tigers. I've been uh, attacked by a cobra. I've nearly fallen off cliffs. nearly been swept away by rapids. Um, I've been covered in leeches and ticks. No. Uh, the last expedition to Tajikistan, to Tajikistan that I've just come back from, we were in the middle of the most ferocious storm I've ever seen in my life that killed 21 people. We were caught up in the middle of it. But none of that really worries me. The, the, all the hassle you get on expeditions is from human bureaucracy. Yeah.
1: It's sad, isn't yeah. it?
0: Putting obstacles in the way just for the sake of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, Tajikistan, were you looking for hominins there?
2: Yes, we were looking for. Uh, uh, we, we went there in 2018. We went back this year looking for a relic hominin loan. Locally, it's the gull, G U L, and also the Caspian tiger, which was a subspecies of tiger that was uh, supposedly hunted into extinction some kind of in the 1950s or 70s. But on both occasions, met, uh, we went there, we've met loads of people that have seen them and say that they see them every year farmers, honey farmers, hunters. <laughs> the people in the mountains say that they seem to live right up the tops of the mountains and in winter they come down to feed on the livestock and that's when they see them. Oh, wow! And that's why nobody looking for the them sees them because so they don't go high enough. Yeah. Ooh. So
1: if one decided one would love to become a cryptozoologist and would love to go on an expedition what advice would you give someone to, if they really wanted to do that?
2: Well actually I wrote a whole article once about some um, about this i incorporated it into uh, my latest book um in search of real Monsters, there's an actual chapter on setting up your own cryptozoological expedition if you want to become a cryptozoologist study ordinary zoology get a good grounding in ordinary zoology don't just read books about bigfoot and a lot less monster uh then Choose your target creature and choose it wisely. Don't go after something like the cabra, which is almost certainly a media creation. It probably doesn't exist at all. Um, and don't go after something that's only been seen a few times. Go after something that has been consistently seen over a long period on many witnesses. Choose that, choose one of those. And then the key is getting a good naked guy. Of guys that notice the area that can find your eyewitnesses so you can hit the ground running. That's the way to do it. And above all, record what you're doing, film it, photograph it, take notes. And when you come home, write it up because there's no point in doing all this and then not sharing the information.
0: Yeah, it is. isn't Stuff like this it's so important to share it, you know, pass it around, everybody sort of read it and see it. So, like you said, because on the back of that, other things feed through because someone else can say, well, hang about. I remember someone else telling me about this, and then you get more information as well when the stories come round. So, yeah, agree with that one hundred percent. It is wise to record it all and, and, you know, make it sort of available for people to see as well.
1: So, Richard, your book—can um, we find your books on Amazon Prime? Where's the best place to find those?
2: Yeah, you can find them on uh, Amazon, or you can order them through most good bookshop, and probably most crap bookshops as <laughs> well. Um yeah, uh my two latest are um Adventure in Cryptozoology, which is a lousy title. I didn't choose it, They're publisher did. And then uh, In Search of Real Monsters, which are two volumes that make up one book. It's written as one book originally that it's three big sorts so they're published by mango. They're my two latest ones. Most of my others are been report, uh, been um, uh, published by CFZ Press, a central 14 so I was just publishing now, And I've got so I've got a couple of new ones coming out. I've got one from CFZ Press called The Highest Strangeness, which is about very high strangeness 14, 14 cases, which is a big step away from what I know normally and handle. Yeah. But that's about really, really weird. 14 cases, um, monsters, ghosts, UFOs, other areas. Whoa, that are really, really nice. hot Sounds good. The sound of that, yeah. <laughs> Further, there's you know, things like modern day sightings of literal fire breathing dragon, uh, and, uh, ghost crawling, stinking, bubbling, glowing ghost trees, giant glowing ghost crabs on. Um, Bigfoot piloting UFO oh wow <laughs> God I'm Martian uh jets talking mongoose and other weird talking animals that tear during horn things um the giant cat with human eyes that safe to liver put in kids for a yeah I've hunted down all the weirdest 14 cases uh and I brought them all together in one book and then tried to work out what the hell is going on, which is sort of like herding cats.
0: I could imagine. Uh, God.
2: Now, probably early in the new year, maybe. (sighs) Okay, I haven't got a date yet. It's it's fairly imminent. And the other one that I'm actually in the middle of writing at the minute is called Beasts That Prey on Man, and that's about man-eating animals, crocodiles, Komodo dragons, constricting snakes. Sharks, big cats, bears, wolves, hyenas, human cannibals.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Wow. In a mixture. We need to know when these yeah, are coming out, We're Richard. looking
0: out for
2: those. A little go, but that's not going to be out until next year. Because i have okay. not even finished writing.
1: Oh, well, brilliant. let us know. We've Please let us that, know yeah. when it's good to go, because... Oh yeah!
0: yeah it might, it's my birthday's it? in July. It
1: could be a birthday present well, you night. Go, put it on your
0: list. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for taking you. the time to come and talk to us. And we wanted to grab hold of you for absolutely ages because, like you said, we, we really do love cryptozoology, and it's actually shining a bit more of a light onto it because I think people get the wrong idea about it. And I think you have got to open a few more eyes into sort of seeing exactly what yeah, it is, which I think yeah. is really, really Are
2: important. Well, ghost to a flying saucer compared to cryptozoology you get loads of them loads of them and nobody did cryptozoology no
1: it's nuts i actually said that didn't i
2: yeah yeah
1: because when we do um podcasts and things like that and we've done articles and stuff there's not much out there about it and it's it's surprising because it's such a huge it's huge a massive subject. massive
0: subject yeah and it's, and it's so, so in depth. yeah
1: i i find it fascinating yeah.
0: Yeah, me too. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. Um, like we were saying, we're going to put the links down in the description for the sets for 14 Zoology. We'll put some links across to Amazon so you can actually go and have a look for, for Richard's books as well. So thank you once again for taking the time to talk to us, Richard, and hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. It's
1: been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for hanging out.
0: Thank you. Take care. Cheerio.
1: Bye bye. Well
0: done. Oh, Jules. What can you say about that?
1: I know, right? Wasn't it brilliant?
0: <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I didn't I honestly didn't think that it would be that involved. I know it's a weird thing to say because you look at cryptozoology and you're thinking about stuff. It's going to be like Bigfoot or you know the Loch Ness monster and this sort of stuff. But there's so much more to it, and that's what made it so fascinating. Is the fact that he was telling us about all these things that he'd gone to look for all these amazing places you've been to
1: all over the world yeah it's fascinating
0: really really interesting
1: can he answer my question about the Megalodon I know oh word. it
0: was very sad wasn't it but then again interesting to hear, but I, I don't know you see can we question <laughs> can we question an expert because he said "Oh, it was a, a shallow water dweller yeah that prayed close to the yeah the, but then again it could have changed
1: I doubt that very much In
0: millions of years
1: mm. Yeah. Know. could Dunn have evolved,
0: know. could have evolved into a deep water creature, possibly, but then again, possibly not. But
1: then we have giant squids and all those kind of things, you said about those too. Yeah, so, yeah, lurking about yeah. huge, huge, yeah. great. And it's so unexplored, our oceans as well. There's so many things we don't know this yet. Is it.
0: This is it.
1: Yeah. Time will tell, I guess.
0: It will indeed, mm. yeah. But I'm kind of hoping that when he goes out. Expeditioning, I suppose, is the one wow. he is. Again, he actually comes across something oh, and finds it because amazing. he puts so much work into what he does.
1: He really does. And I'm really looking forward to his book as well that's coming out. this oh, next got year, didn't a totally he?
0: Totally insane book, the one he was talking mm. about, with sort of the really weird sort of mm. things in it, you know, all sorts of strange, wonderful stories. But he has got a, a catalogue, a back catalogue of books, and it's worth going to look at Amazon to sort of pick up on some because he did mention in one of the books he'd written that um, he does actually explain how to set up your own expedition if you want to you know, so if anybody fancies like this trip off to fuck oh where would you want Should to go where would you want to go
1: oh do you know what anywhere anywhere but norfolk
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, somewhere warm and exciting yeah, yeah right
1: just oh it'd be lovely just uh you know somewhere remote and yeah. strange
0: but and- how would we cope in the rainforests of sumatra
1: well, good point. We didn't, really, <laughs> we didn't really cope out in the woods, did we, in the rain, East, in the dark?
0: in the Woods. We yeah. weren't there very long, were we? Weren't we? There Let's very be long.
1: honest. After a
0: weird noise that sent us <laughs> running.
1: That was scary.
0: It was indeed. And our we, own... We
1: never got an answer for that, did we? No.
0: Well, we, I forgot to ask him.
1: Oh, did gosh. We?
0: Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna have to go back and ask him well, now, we aren't we? We
1: can. Me? We can ask him. This you. is
0: our own peculiar experience yeah. of something weird and wonderful. In the Woods at East Harling.
1: Which podcast was that one?
0: That's, oh, Into the Woods.
1: Into the Woods, because I can never remember which one is which. Yeah, so
0: go and listen to Into the Woods, and you can hear our own
1: cryptozoological
0: Mm. experience.
1: That was scary. It
0: was very, very scary.
1: I've never walked so quickly. No. I think my bum cheeks were cheering me from behind. I was walking <laughs> so fast. I'm oh, so out of
2: breath.
0: Good <laughs> Lord. Slow down, George! Slow down, George! No, you were thinking, if I leave him behind, then the monster will leave him first, I weren't you? No. Leave the old man behind. God,
1: no. I was just trying to get at home as quickly as possible because I knew the car. I had to get to the car Let's and I locked the car.
0: For car. Let's get back to the car. Good Lord. We <laughs> wouldn't make good cryptozoologists, would we?
1: Probably not. We'll we'll leave it to the likes (laughs) of Richard. We'll leave it to the experts. Yeah, uh, the experts, they can do it.
0: So anyway, um, I hope you enjoyed our chat with Mr. Richard Freeman. And like I said, the links to the Centre for Fortune Zoology and uh, his Amazon links are in the notes below this podcast. So go and give them a look because it's well worth it. There's some interesting things on. Oh, it really is.
1: And it's fascinating. It is,
0: yeah, really, really fascinating. So, not like, oh, dear. (laughs) <laughs> so the word that was,
2: what was I was that? trying to say
0: something, but it just wouldn't come out of my mouth, which is unusual for me, isn't it? Because normally it's like. say it. You can say it.
1: All right. So, folks, thank you for taking the time to listen to us once again and torturing your poor ears. It's goodbye from me.
0: And it's goodbye from him.
1: Goodbye. Take care. Bye bye.